This morning, for the next few minutes, I want us to talk about what you can do to help the Lord's Church here at Delreda to grow. You know, another title for this lesson might be as well, How You Can Go to Heaven. Because you see, the same things that are essential for the Lord's church here to grow and to prosper, those same things are essential for you to go to heaven. You see, the Lord's church must want to grow and desire to grow if we're going to grow. We may as well just quit and forget about growing unless we have a desire to grow. And I think we need to believe the Lord's church can grow. The New Testament emphasizes again and again that it's possible for the Lord's church to grow, for the Lord's church to make rapid progress, and every member of the church must be involved if the church is going to grow. There is a job for you to do, and it's a very, very important job. But what can we do? What can you do today as a member of the body of Christ to ensure the growth of the congregation that meets here at Delreda? This morning, I want us to focus on some underlying reasons that can really help us to calls the church here to grow and to prosper. And I want you to keep in mind in the very outset of this lesson that I believe all of us here today without exception would acknowledge some of these principles. I think that we would say that we believe firmly in these principles. But that's altogether different from allowing these principles that we are about to talk about to permeate our thoughts, our actions, our emotions, our motivations. So the only way that these things that we are going to discuss today can help the church to grow is if they impact every fiber, every aspect of our being. I want to suggest to you, first of all, this morning, that one way that we can really help the Lord's church to grow is if we can stop and realize that our lives on this earth are so very brief and uncertain. We need to understand that time is rapidly passing away. We need to understand that we have so little time to work for the Lord, even at best here upon this earth. David said long ago in 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 3, he said, there is but a step between me and death. David realized, even though he was king, he understood how uncertain his life really was. And today all of us ought to ask our God to help us to realize how brief our sojourn in this world actually is. Job 14 verse 1 says, man born of woman is a few days. The psalmist long ago prayed in Psalms 39 and verse 4, Lord, make me to know mine end. The measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail 
I am. And for us to determine that we're going to make the Lord's church grow here, we have to begin to understand how brief our time to spend in the Lord's kingdom actually is. We just cannot afford to put off tomorrow what must be done today. Proverbs 27 and verse 1 says, Don't boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Peter observed over in 1 Peter 1 and verse 24, For all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass, and the grass withers, and the flower thereof falls away. And we need to realize this morning that all grass, and that includes you and me, we as flesh are described by Peter as being grass. And just as that grass withers away, so do each one of us in the passing of time. And we need to understand that we don't have a great amount of time to spend in the Lord's work. Now think about the insect called the mayfly. The mayfly only lives once it comes into existence for 24 hours and then it perishes. Can you imagine what it would be like to come into existence knowing that you're only going to be on this earth for 24 hours? You know, I really feel sorry in a way for the mayfly you know, it could be a stormy day. It may not be a good day, but the mayfly's got 24 hours to make things happen, and it's gone. And I feel sorry for the mayfly. And maybe we ought to think about the fact that in the grand scheme of things, when we look at eternity, really our lives are not much different from that mayfly. We are literally here one minute and we're gone the next. James 4 and verse 14 says that our lives are like a vapor. They're here for just a little while and then they vanish away. I think about two extremes in which we can choose to live our lives today. I think about King Saul when he came to the very end of his life in 1 Samuel and Saul made the statement, I have played the fool. Then I think about the Apostle Paul. When he came to the end of his life, he made the statement, I have kept the faith. Now, how is it going to be with us? When our lives one day upon this earth come to a close and, and we look back on our lives, how we've lived, are we going to be able to say, like Saul, I've played the fool? Or will we be able to say, like the Apostle Paul, I've kept the faith? You see, one of the great requirements, I believe, for the Lord's church to grow is that we need to realize that our lives here on this earth are so brief and so uncertain. We have so little time to accomplish so much. And unless we realize that, unless that permeates 
every fiber of our being, we're not going to really do what the Lord would have us to do. And the Lord's work is not going to prosper as it should. But in the second place this morning, not only do we need to realize that our lives are brief and uncertain, but if we're going to cause the Lord's church to grow and to make progress, we must understand that the judgment day is coming. There is that day, there is that time when each one of us are going to give an account for what we've done in this brief life. In Acts 17 and verse 30, the Bible says, God commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness. And so you see, our lives are brief and uncertain, and we need to understand that God has commanded all people in this brief life to repent because the day of judgment is coming. The Bible declares in Romans 14 verse 10, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each one of us shall give an account of himself to God. And how we ought to let the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 permeate our thinking. He said we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he hath done, whether it be good or bad. You see, for us to somehow be motivated to go out and do what we can for the Lord, somehow we have to really understand that there's a day of judgment. There's a day of reckoning coming. And each one of us need to realize that we will one day stand before God with every person who's ever lived. And you and I as an individual will either receive that wonderful summons, come you blessed, or we will receive that awful sentence, depart from me. This morning, I want you to think about the fact that you yourself, our children, our relatives, our close friends, our classmates, our co-workers, our associates, our neighbors, all of us are going to stand before God and give an account of our lives. And we need to realize that in this brief life, we need to do everything we possibly can to be ready for the judgment. And the Lord even said in Matthew 13 and verse 41 that, you know, just being a member of the Lord's church in and of itself is not enough. In Matthew 13, verse 41, Jesus said, The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom, the church, all things that offend, and them that do iniquity. You see, not nearly even all those in the church are going to be saved. The Hebrew writer said, It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. Hebrews 9 and verse 27. And as we think about being ready for the judgment and being prepared for that day, we need to realize that on that day, we're going to be judged 
by the word of God, by the New Testament. Jesus said, he who rejects me and does not receive my words, he hath one that judgeth him. These words that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Now, right now, we have the privilege of opening up that book. We can understand its contents and its teachings, but just as surely as we live, one day we're going to stand before God and be judged by that word. You're not going to be judged based upon what you think. You won't be judged based upon what you feel or what your parents may have said or taught you down through the years. On that day, you won't be judged by what some preacher may say. You're going to be judged by the word of Almighty God, the New Testament. And we need to allow that principle to permeate our thinking. Now, folks, if a realization of these facts, if we really comprehend them, if we allow them to permeate our thinking, if these facts will not cause us to work for the Lord, I really don't know what will. Now, we've seen so far that our lives are brief, that judgment is coming. But in the next place, I want us to observe that eternity is that which is vast indeed. Eternity is that which is beyond our comprehension as human beings. Eternity is unending. It is infinite. There's no way in human language to adequately describe it. Beyond the time of death, beyond the day of judgment, there lies an unending and endless duration. And that is eternity itself. Now, I want you to think about this this morning. In Romans chapter 16 and verse 26, the Bible speaks of the everlasting God up in heaven. John 3 and verse 16 speaks of everlasting life that our God can give. And yet Matthew 5 and verse 46 speaks of everlasting punishment. Matthew 18 and verse 8 speaks of everlasting fire. Now, when you think about that, the same word everlasting that describes the fire and describes the punishment, that same word also describes the God of heaven. And if we ever tend in our thinking to buy into this idea that somehow God could never really punish an individual eternally for just a brief life of obedience, then we need to realize that God himself is not eternal, that God himself is not everlasting. Because you see, the same word that describes God and describes life also describes fire and eternal judgment. You know, time and life are so brief, and yet eternity is so long, it's so certain. Someone has said that life is that little gleam of time between two eternities. 
And we ought to understand that beyond this brief life that oftentimes encompasses everything that we are, our thinking, it involves so much of our actions that beyond this life lies an unending eternity, either in heaven or in punishment. Now, folks, wouldn't it be wonderful when this life is over to be able to go to heaven? Won't it be wonderful to hear that wonderful summons? I think about our students. You've worked real hard in a class and maybe you've studied, you prepared well for your test and you get the grade and it's an A and man, you're just so happy. You weren't really sure until it actually, you know, transpired. Won't it be wonderful on the day of judgment knowing that we faithfully serve the Lord in this life and then to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Every sacrifice that we've made, every effort that we put forth is going to be rewarded a million times over. The Bible says in Revelation 21 and verse 4 that God's going to wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things are passed away. You see, to experience everlasting, unending life forever and forever with God is a beautiful thought. And it would be wonderful today if all of us could just determine that we're going to go to heaven that we're going to do what it takes, that we're going to go down that straight and narrow way that leads to that straight and narrow gate at the end of this life. But there's only two possibilities. There's heaven and there's hell. Now, hell is described as the place where the worm does not die. The fire is not quenched, Mark 9 and verse 44. In our culture today, in our society, people don't like to talk about negative things like hell. People today would just assume to just leave hell out of any discussion. But I want to ask you this morning, have you ever just stopped and thought very seriously? Have you ever really asked God to help you to understand what it would be like the emptiness that would fill your heart if on that last and final day you heard those words, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire. And we can certainly help the Lord's church to grow today if we can understand that our lives on this earth are brief and one day I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to give an account of my life based upon how I lived. And after that accounting, there lies an endless duration that the Bible describes as eternity. And I'm going to either be in heaven or in hell forever and forever. Now with these basic thoughts in mind today, I would like to suggest in the fourth place that we must determine that we're not going to allow the world, we're not going to allow sin, 
We're not going to allow anything or anyone else keep us out of heaven. There is nothing that's going to cause us to be lost. We're challenged by the words of 1 John 2 and verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Our Lord prayed earnestly in John chapter 17 that we might be able to comprehend that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Now, folks, I know today in this country in which we live, we are blessed abundantly. And we would have to be honest today and say that we have life pretty easy compared to most people on this earth. We enjoy all kinds of recreational activities. We have opportunities in regard to education. The material and physical blessings that we enjoy today are abundant. But we ought to determine in our minds one thing, and that is we're never going to allow any event, any activity, anything or any person to come between us and the Lord of heaven. We need to make up our minds that nothing is going to come between us and God. And we ought to make sure that we are not going to allow this world and the things in this world to come between us and the Lord. Now, with the realization that life is brief and the judgment is coming and that eternity is unending and that I cannot allow this world to come between me and God, in the fifth place, I want to suggest to you that we need to resolve in our hearts right now that we are truly going to be converted to the Lord. Somebody says, what do you mean? I am converted to the Lord. But you see, we can never be satisfied with half-hearted contentment. We need to make up our minds today that we're going to be totally and completely converted to the Lord. And folks, that's not very easy to do. Did you realize a person can come and assemble every time the doors are open and not truly be converted to the Lord? Did you understand today that a person can be a member of the body of Christ and still not be truly converted? I think about Peter. Now, Peter had been with the Lord for some three years. Peter had heard the Lord preach and teach time and again. Peter had observed with his own eyes the fabulous miracles our Lord performed. He had been with the Lord on a daily basis throughout his public ministry. And yet, at the close of our Lord's life, the Lord said to Peter in Luke 22 and verse 32, Peter, when, when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. I think Peter was finally converted. I think Peter finally realized, even though he fell short and made mistakes, he finally understood that there was nothing more important in this life than putting the Lord first. Now that word convert means to turn. The idea about the word convert is a turning from and a turning to. 
And so conversion is a turning from sin. It's a turning away from that which is wrong, but it's a turning to God and the things that are right. Folks, we need to make up our minds that we're going to be truly converted. Somebody asks, well, how can I know if I've been truly converted? How can I really know if I've really changed? How can I know if my life has turned away from sin and turned to God? Now, we need to realize that it's possible for a person to turn away from sin. He may realize that his past life is just foolish, that it's foolish to live this kind of a life. But conversion is more than that. It involves a turning to God. It involves a turning to God in the sense that we put our complete faith and trust in God and our focus changes, our aims change, who we are changes. How can I know if I'm converted? Well, look at your schedule. What are my priorities today? Well, the Bible says in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So how can I know if I'm converted? Am I putting the kingdom of God first in my life? Am I putting the Lord's church first in my life? Am I putting the Lord's work? Am I making that more important than anything else that I do? Or do I try to just half-heartedly get by? Do I allow the world and sin and things and my own desires and what I want and what I want to do come between me and doing the work of the Lord? Do I become selfish and self-centered in my decisions and in the things that I choose to do? Now, this idea of being converted is not something that just happens by accident. Conversion takes place when a person says, I intend to change my life. I'm going to be a different person. I'm going to turn away from those things that are wrong and sinful, and I'm going to follow God. I'm going to do what he wants me to do, and I'm going to do that to the point that I will not allow anything to come between me and the God of heaven. So you see, for the church to grow... I have to realize that my life is brief. I have to understand that judgment day is coming. I have to realize that there is that endless eternity that's going to take place and I must be converted. Now, with all this in mind, I want to suggest to you as well that we must develop a deep concern for lost souls. I believe that's just a natural outgrowth, though, of the realization that my life is brief, that judgment is coming, that eternity is unending. It's just going to be a natural outreach of that kind of thinking to realize I must be concerned about souls. I need to realize that the eternal salvation of everyone that I meet is of most importance. Paul had that desire Paul said in Romans 10 and verse 1, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Paul's sincere concern, his number one desire was for the salvation of other people. The Lord's mission must be our mission. His mission in Luke 19 verse 10 
was to seek and save the lost. And every one of us today here need to sit down. We need to humble ourselves. We need to ask our God in prayer. And we need to ask him to help us to be more concerned about lost souls. We need to ask him to help us to be more concerned about our own souls. We need to ask God for wisdom that we might know the best way to go about trying to save those that we know. We need to pray to God and ask that we might have greater concern for the Lord's work, for those that have become unfaithful, for those who, whose lives are in eternal jeopardy. We need to come to the point where we just think souls. And if we're going to develop this concern for lost souls, we must stop and think about what it's going to be like for a person to be lost. If we could just contemplate what it might be like for an individual to go to bed at night and that individual has no hope in this world of going to heaven, that individual is completely without God in this world. I'm talking about your friend, your good friend at school. I'm talking about your neighbor. I'm talking about your friend at work. I'm talking about maybe a relative of yours. You need to understand and contemplate what it's like for that individual to go to bed each night and be completely without God in this world, knowing if that person were to die or if the Lord were to return, that that individual would be in eternal torment forever and forever. We have to develop a concern for lost souls. Now, we've seen some things that I believe that will help us to have more concern about making the Lord's church grow. Our lives are brief and so uncertain. The judgment is coming. There is eternity that lies ahead. We cannot allow anything to come between us and God, and we must think souls. But in closing, very quickly... I want to suggest to you that we need to resolve in a view of everything that we've talked about today that we're going to work for our God as we never have before. If we realize these principles, if we really understand them, if they become a part of our thinking, then we're going to be motivated to work for the Lord. And therefore, we ought to think about these things daily. If we need some motivation, if we need some oomph in our step to get to work for the Lord, surely these things ought to motivate us to do that. You need to resolve that you're going to work for the Lord. There is work that you can do in the Lord's kingdom. And we ought to be so grateful to be alive on time's side of eternity. We ought to consider it a privilege today to be a part of the Lord's work. And, and we need to work not only in organized ways, but we ought to realize as well that we're never off the clock. That when I'm at work or at school or playing ball, that I'm always a Christian. I'm always letting my light shine. I'm always using opportunities to try to reach those that are lost. There's work our young people can do. You have influence on people now. That influence won't be there in a few years. 
There are opportunities that we have on every hand to teach the lost. And parents, we need to make sure that our children are involved in the Lord's work. We need to train and teach our children to be involved in the work of the Lord. That's an investment that you can't put a price tag on. And I just want to challenge everyone. We've begun a new year. I want to challenge you again to set aside some time every week that you use specifically in working for the Lord. I honestly believe if every member here would just set aside one hour every week and you give that hour totally to doing the Lord's work, I believe that would revolutionize the congregation here at Del Rada. And on that last and final day, we need to realize that we cannot rest from our labors unless we've been involved in working for the Lord. But today, I want to ask you the question. Are you ready for the judgment? Suppose today were the day that eternity began for you, would you be ready? Have you allowed things to come between you and God? Have you allowed things like selfishness? Have you allowed maybe sin, your own desires to come between you and God? Are you really working for the Lord as you should? I hope today that you will examine your life. If there are things to be that need to be corrected, I encourage you to correct those things. If we can pray for you today, come and, and we'll pray for you. But if you're not a Christian, I hope you'll realize that you have no hope. But today, if you'll come in simple trusting faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and you will repent based upon your faith in Jesus Christ, change your life, you can be baptized into Christ upon your confession of faith in him the Lord will add you to his body, the church. Every sin you've ever committed will be completely washed away and you can begin your walk in the family of God. This morning, the invitation...